The Athletic. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I think! Brilliant! Gee! He's round the goalkeeper, he's done it! Absolutely incredible! He launched himself six feet into the crowd and Kung Fu kicked a supporter who was without a shadow of a doubt giving him lip. Does it tame and tame and tame again? Break up the music! Charge a glass! This nation is going to dance all night! Shattering the illusion of managers' match day programme notes, trying to find meaning in the soundtracks of YouTube football compilations, the sadness in the eyes of a pointless 94th minute substitute, why one DIY hardware retailer is to blame for the unsalvageable connection between football and wider culture and an earth-shattering expose of the murky world of can-I-have-your-shirt-player-x signs. Brought to your ears by The Athletic, this is Football Clichés. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 125 of the Football Clichés podcast. I'm Adam Hurry and with me for this one is Charlie Eccleshare. How are you doing? I'm good, how are you? Yeah, not too bad. For once, my natural emphasis coincided with the capitalised letters of this tabloid headline. Goo are ya? Man United stars had to Google who Ralph Rangnick was <laughs> when he became boss after not knowing who ex-RB Leipzig chief was. I'm slightly fascinated by the scenario of this. On one hand, I feel it's, it's, it's excusable not to know who your incoming manager is, especially if you're a you know single-minded Premier League player who only has a few things to focus on. Uh, but on the other hand, there seems to be quite a lot of unrest about this. Mm. So where do you stand? Well, this is the kind of natural uh, next step from Danny Rose giving that interview and saying that he wanted Spurs to stop signing players that he had to Google. Yeah, well, I mean, maybe out, outside of our sort of cosseted world where we're, you know, Ralph Rangnick, we're all very familiar with him. Maybe um, maybe that's not true of everyone. It, I mean, should they know who he is? I don't know. You'd think they might have heard of him, but who knows? I just don't know what they would glean Goonos, from Googling as you say. him. Yeah, I'm not sure what they would get. But um, but yeah, worrying scenes at Old Trafford. Uh, you don't have to Google our guest, Pemez at Harlan Dix, this week. It's Guardian sports writer and ex-countdown ace, Jonathan Liu. How you doing? I'm, I'm very well, thank you. I, totally, I, I forgot about the countdown stuff. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I always forget about that. No, I do. I do. Oh, and, right. and, and, because the all the, all the memorabilia and, and stuff it's it's on a it's on a top shelf it's you know, it's, it's not on display or anything yeah um and and it has very very little relevance to to what i do these days um mm. just a, a, a nice a nice moment in my history yeah absolutely but i i feel like this is going to be less challenging but also you know more tricky in some ways because asking you for your niche footballing obsessions it's not a straightforward task. You know, you, you don't want to leave anything out, do you? No, I, I, I honestly spent entire evenings when I should have been working or spending time with my family, just just like going through a, a, a huge Apple Notes document. You know, saying like, is that is, is that niche enough? 
Is that you know? Do I? Do I no, 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 that's a bit, it sounds like no. you were under pressure to impress with your nicheness. Yeah, I mean, like, like, like a, you, you have a kind of an off-color podcast, and 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 you know, you, you don't quite you don't quite bring your, your A game to the table. You can come back again next week, and and um, but, I, I have no such you know. This is my cup final, Johnny. This <laughs> sounds though like when David Cameron went on Desert Island Discs, and clearly a lot of his choices were very heavily thought out, and you know. But, we, we want it to be natural as well. You can't, you can't, don't want to overthink these things. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, Cameron went on and, and chose like the Smiths and, and Radio. The Killers. And, yeah. Basically, be... what I'm trying to say is that this podcast means a lot to me. I'm a big fan. <laughs> oh, excellent. No, it's really glad to have you. I'm glad to have someone who, who really cares about this. So let's get stuck into this. This is Mesut Harland Dix with Jonathan Liu. He, if you haven't listened to this before, has chosen three things about football that he loves or just has an, a baffling obsession with and three things that he hates slash is irrationally irritated by. As always, we'll start with the loves, if we can indeed call them that. Tell us about your first one. I quite like this. So, you know, if you get any sort of match day programme, you go to a game, you get the match day programme, and on sort of page three or four, you'll have the manager's notes, you know, a big, big picture of the manager, uh, like Sean Dyche or, or whatever, or Dean Smith is, uh, uh, you know, writing an article. And every, everyone knows, everyone knows that they're not actually sitting there with a typewriter. <laughs> Tapping out their their match day program notes. It's, it's some it's some press officer with a dictaphone at the end of the press conference getting in. I kind of just get five minutes no. for the program. Yeah, the the thing I love is is that the the pretense occasionally <laughs> in about the second or third paragraph of this this is quite niche. In the second or third paragraph of these program notes, you will occasionally find a, a reference to actually physically I, I am i am writing these notes to you I, i'm writing these notes to you before our trip to burnley on tuesday uh so i can't you know so, so the result of that game is not yet known however i can reflect upon the uh, on, on saturday's uh, brilliant win at, at um uh, newcastle or whatever and i i just really like the way that they pretend yeah you know, they actually maintain the pretense that they're actually sitting there writing these notes even though everyone knows they're not i suppose this is basically ultimately about um suspension of disbelief yes exactly well my disbelief requires a great deal of suspension here because, you know, I, I quite innocently, Charlie, believe that managers still did this on the whole. I would, I would have guessed maybe 80% of the Premier League managers that, that we currently have probably did do this. So I'm quite disappointed that Johnny shattered this illusion straight away. My first question to you, Charlie, let's, let's just let's keep my belief going. When would a Premier League manager be writing his notes in theory? Like where, what, what 10 minutes of their absurd week? Are they going to have to go sit down and go right? I'm going to write something really boring about yeah. my upcoming game. I like the idea as well. Like, like Johnny was saying before that he was poring over this notes. Yeah, uh, that that they also are just kind of agonising over. Should it be the trip to St James's Park? Should it be our, our visit to St James? <laughs> I, just, I, I just want to get this right, you know. Yeah, I mean, it probably. I imagine it is when there's that. Uh, they've already given up time to speak to the press. So they'd probably... So it's doing that mode. Yeah, bracket it in the same sort of way. Because it's kind of an interview, isn't it? But, I mean, on this, I was really surprised. I think it was uh, in, in The Athletic reported that Aubameyang, as Arsenal captain, had one of the points of evidence used to show he wasn't a great captain was that he'd sacked off the captain's notes. <laughs> and I kind of thought, that suggests there is like a degree of effort. That, I mean, surely no one is so anti it that they can't... Speak for two minutes, you know, spout no, some I'm platitudes, or or surely <laughs> someone saying, "Albamiang, Albamiang's people, can you just sign off these platitudes yeah. for the program?" Oh, he, 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 he couldn't even do that. Is is amazing, Johnny? The administrative faff 
that must go into doing the captain's notes compared to managers. I mean, I can sort of understand why a manager probably wouldn't, wouldn't want to do it, wouldn't have the time, or maybe just can't get his message across. But a captain doing it, fuck off. No, don't want to. Player, players on. have so much time on their hands. <laughs> players literally have hours built into their schedule where they have to just have to rest and do nothing. And, uh, you know, the, the idea that you couldn't just... And, and it's not like, you know, it's not like um, with the greatest of respect to, to programme editors and, and, and the content producers within, it's, it's not... Um, you know, we're not talking, you know, incisive stuff a lot of the time. <laughs> this is very much like the fans were great. We were unlucky yeah. not to get the three points on Saturday. Uh, have a great afternoon. That's it. The tone of programme notes is so consistent, though, Charlie. Perhaps it's because there's this little cabal of ghostwriters who kind of club together and make sure that it is so. It's, it's always, it's just this kind of lovely, sort of gentle, lilting rhythm. Go Read on, me <laughs> some. What's this? Good afternoon and welcome to Tottenham Hotspur Stadium for today's Premier League fixture against Crystal <laughs> Palace. No, I like this. This is good. On behalf of everyone at the club, that's always quite nice. I should, I should like to wish you and your loved ones a very happy Christmas. <laughs> Football doesn't stop for Christmas Day, so the players were in working hard at the training centre in preparation for today's match. But, but I do think we're, we're, if ever you've ghosted something, which we probably all have done at some point, you, you do f- find yourself... It, I don't know, you, you want to kind of give their voice but you do feel it just kind of melding into this ghost writery sort of way and i imagine um program notes are something similar yeah i i think actually johnny if you took any you know t- randomly selected some managers program notes from any game and removed all references to, to specific teams and players i don't reckon anybody could ever work out who wrote it but i think this is the clinching point for your for your most of the time selection. But Klopp writes very distinctive program notes, and you can you can actually get you know because clearly he's built up a relationship with his with his media team, and he has a very uh, distinctive turn of phrase. I reckon uh, I, I reckon you, you could tell a Klopp uh, program notes from a, from a you know your common supermarket own brand uh, you know equivalent. And, you know, I've, I've got Brendan <laughs> Rodgers here from oh, Leicester, okay. Leicester v Arsenal. Good Lord. Very good. Today also marks the club's annual remembrance fixture in the 100th year of the Royal British Legion, where we commemorate the sacrifices of service personnel in conflicts past and present. Body, body, body. And then at the end, um, he, he puts Brendan Rodgers. He signs it off. Brendan Rodgers, everything is possible. Oh, <laughs> goodness me. So like, a little, like a little business card. Oh. But the thing is, right... When you're like you're going to your first game, and you know, uh, I went to my first game when I was about seven years old, and uh, you get you get the program, and it's an incredibly treasured document. Mm, um, mm. And obviously, why would why would you not think that the manager was just sitting there mm. writing these notes for the fans to you? And and th- this is this is kind of why I've why I've included this because I I think it really expresses this divide between the people for whom the game is still a thing of magic and mystique and wonder and the knowledge now especially if you work in it that you know we've seen behind the curtain in many mm. cases we live behind the curtain <laughs> uh, you know we are doing our sordid fetid business behind the curtain <laughs> and and we just have a completely different view of the game to to the people who who, who you know pay their money and and go to games and and, and still still kind of really love and cherish this this thing because they don't really know how it works. Oh, wait until the kids find out that the players aren't writing the tweets as well. That would be awful. We asked our listeners, Johnny, the sort of things that they demand appear in their manager's programme notes. Uh, Premiership polls will kick us off. It says, always offer a warm welcome to the opposing team. Uh, we welcome Team X. It, it's, it's so at odds with the reality we, of football. We, it's always, we welcome Manager X and his, and his oh, club. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. His staff. Very good. Yes. 
completely. Charlie, I love this one. Very specific from Matt Rate. A manager will always thank the fans with more emphasis on the away support if both of their two previous games were away from home <laughs> with an additional comment of how nice it is to be back playing under the lights. <laughs> <laughs> it's such an innocuous point. It's an almost pointless point to make, but it's so good to be back under the lights at my home <laughs> stadium. Yeah, I mean, under the lights, we could do a whole other podcast. Oh. The the the, the growth the the growth of under the lights over the last year or so has has been. But it's very evocative. We've established this. And for programme notes, I feel like it's quite an important job. It's an easy win under the lights in a programme note. Yeah, I mean, I also I really do really like this in this ties into what we were talking about earlier that due to the festive print deadlines <laughs> I'm writing these notes before our Carabao Cup yeah. boards finally against oh. that, that's quite a lot of detail that's too that's too behind the scenes yeah exactly that kind yeah. of re-ruins the magic yeah. yeah I don't think you need to know that yeah. that you know that these print deadlines exist this just you know this is just a window into Antonio Conte's soul we don't need to know about that the team are doing well recently scoring six goals on their travels up to and including the visit yeah. to Ewood Park <laughs> no can't have that no no technical data required okay promising start promising start to your likes Johnny tell us about your second love of football which I think is dear to many people's hearts yes it's the music used <laughs> to soundtrack YouTube uh, compilations of a player a player's goals and assists. And, you know, I, I think if, you, if you've seen, I don't know, Timo Werner, welcome to Chelsea video, or Camavinga, welcome to United, goals and assists, <laughs> 1920, 2021, you'll kind of know what the, the, the music that I'm, that I'm talking about. It's, I don't know, it, I, find it, I find it remarkable that this incredibly varied genre with what you have to assume is content creators working yep. across the world have just settled on this uniform uniform style of euro dance music i wondered what you were going to call it i was waiting for the genre <laughs> right, it's it's very it interesting way of putting it okay we face a real task here johnny to get into the real nuts and bolts of of which music fits a certain compilation i'm starting to wonder if there really is no system to it at all but let's set the tone here with perhaps the definitive piece of work in this genre this is 2013 smash hit best soccer goals with dirty house drops <laughs> Yeah, we kick off this one with uh, Jack Wilshere's very intricate team goal against Norwich, which I feel like doesn't really fit the music, but still more Arsenal. Aaron Ramsey slamming one into the top corner against Liverpool. A little bit more in line with what we're talking about. Um, this is um, famously unprolific Manchester City winger Jesus Navas spanking one into the top corner. And this perhaps is the ultimate one. Van Persie's flying volley against Charlton just in time with the drop as well. It's actually not bad music. I mean, that's that's a that's a really subjective call, uh, <laughs> and I, I think you know I, I don't know if that's the sort of thing people would people you know I would listen to, uh, you know, outside of that context. But but now if I if I see a YouTube football compilation and it doesn't and it doesn't have that sort of music, it would it would be it would feel wrong. And I, I've, it's it's just made that genre so so quickly and so perfectly, and in such a short space of time as well. It's just part of the the audio language of it. Charlie, do you think we've got to a stage with this now where it's a little bit like songs we think have been written specifically to be used <laughs> for the title sequence <laughs> of Super Sunday, <laughs> where where sort of music producers are going. Do you know what? This is going to fit really well over a sort of Brownie Day goals compilation sometime soon. But I wonder if they get... I mean, it all feels so, um, I don't know, underhand. I mean, I don't know, are they getting royalties for these? I'm not sure they are. It, yeah. it, it feels like they might not be, then they might be shut down or whatever. So some of these poor 
producers might not be aware of how much of a cultural impact their music has had. The forerunner of this, I think, was, uh, I, I don't know if there's a direct influence, but, you know, Soccer AM used to show, like, Goals of the Week, mm. and they'd play, uh, I think originally they used to play um, Gangster Trippin' by Fatboy Slim over it. <laughs> and then over time, you know, I, I think more recently, they, they, they soundtrack it with, with different tracks, and they have, you know, the track in, in the corner of the screen. Mm. And so I think that kind of set the tone for compilate, cut compilations of Goals being soundtracked by kind of dancey, housey music. I, th- I feel like the rules have gone yeah. out the window, Charlie. I feel I feel like it's almost slightly futile for us to try and connect the music to the action because I feel like there is almost deliberately no connection now. We've moved so far away from the BBC Goal of the Month carefully curated music where everything always fit. It always fit the tone perfectly. I mean, if we, if we examine the genre and its, and its cultural cornerstones, Jorge Campos to Backstreet Boys, I'll Be The One, it, 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 just, it didn't work. Robin Van Persie's volley for, I think it was Man United against Villa, to the caked-up remix of Miley Cyrus's Wrecking Ball. <laughs> the two don't fit, I can assure you. All of Rory Delap's throw-ins for Stoke to MGMT's Time to Pretend. <laughs> <laughs> it's That's slightly class. different. But just but... Don't, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying the music should synchronise with the action, but at least tonally, Johnny... These things should fit, and I feel in all of those examples they don't. Well, everyone has everyone who's had to watch football with the, the you know the at a party maybe you know the, the, you're at a party and and you know you've put the telly on to watch something with the sound down has has been aware of this kind of dissonance between the music that's playing and the thing that you're watching. I thought when when crowds um, were were absent, it was a real missed opportunity to have a soundtrack <laughs> in, in the same way that, that silent films used to have an orchestra pit. Yeah, and you, you, you know you could have an orchestra pit playing playing. I don't know, like you know, the Rise of the Valkyries or something, or like a comedy. You know, oh, some, but not some, funny some, sounds. Not like when someone falls over, they would do sort of a bit wah, of woodwind. Wah, wah, well, wah. well, why not? You know, when somebody's <laughs> somebody's engaged in a foot race. But there was also there was a reason why. I think uh, my theory that what why house has become the dominant genre in this is because I'm not a musical expert, but house is basically just like taking all the most visceral and fun bits of music, getting rid of like things like intros and chorus and just like, right, there's going to be a drop here and it's mm-hmm. going to like, it's going to go, everything's going to go mental all the time. And that's basically what a, what a goal compilation is. It's stripping out all the other bits of football. It's like, this is, this is the, the pure stuff. But that's really interesting that uh, link back to that soccer AM thing, because I do think that, a lot of them are a very it's it's very in your face it's quite aggressive you know it's kind of like here's here's someone smashing in a goal and we really want to kind of i don't know that there is something quite aggressive about that and i think it does mm. work with yeah. that sort of music i think i think we're closer to the truth here because these youtube compilations are amateur most of the time there's not a lot of time invested in them perhaps the law of averages suggests johnny if you if you introduce a piece of music that has indeed frequent drops and you assume that any great goal compilation is going to be predominantly obsessed with goals struck from distance with power Mm -hmm. there's a fair chance that if you just put the two together some of the time it will marry up so you're giving yourself the best opportunity mechanically (laughs) yeah it it seems to fit yeah. It just works. But, there is um, going to be a moment when when it just it just everything marries up the the the, st- the strike and the drop and and or it could just be like that if you're if you're an eighteen year old uh, producing videos that that's just the, the stuff that's most freely available on Creative Commons. That's, that's true. Uh, also true. Sipping your um, diet Pepsi, as Phil Jones would have it. Absolutely right. Um, Mozart, of course, contains no drops, as far as I understand it. But he was uh, he was commandeered for Letitia's famous 
YouTube compilation. <laughs> um, right up there is one of the definitive pieces of work. That, that kind of fits, doesn't it, Charlie? I think that's... that's a, I mean, I'm talking old Letitia here. Yeah, 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 that does. Though who was it? Um, Riziki was the li- was Little Mozart. Was oh. His, uh, was his nickname. Mm. But yes, I think there's a there's a classiness there that those two those two fit quite nicely. There used to be, I think, the growth of these compilations. You'd then find compilations which said with commentary as a way to alert you to the fact that it wasn't yeah. this kind of hard house, yeah, which, yeah. which suggests some people wanted that. But I'm guessing, Johnny, you you would you would actively you'd want without commentary. Yeah, I mean, I, I like that the red button option of, mm. of, of introducing commentary <laughs> is there. But I, I, yeah, I mean, these days, if I if I saw a, a compilation and it didn't have, you know, David Guetta or whatever over it, I'd, I'd, I'd find it, I'd, be, I'd feel shortchanged. Feet, Martin Tyler. We asked our listeners for their, <laughs> for their contributions to this very important part of football culture. Tom says the all-timer for football compilations is Ludovico Inaudi's Nuvoli Bianche. He says it's a genuinely incredible track. Let's hit. Let's listen to a, a portion of it, and each of us try and express what we think should be played over the top of it, football-wise. Johnny, you can go first. Who are we watching here? Bergkamp. Ooh, In slow yeah. motion. Yeah. So this isn't goals, is it, Charlie? This is no, touches. no. This is yeah. Maje- this could be Zidane bringing that ball down, the one that's always on the compilations of like most insane touches ever, where he Mateo Kovacic every first touch against <laughs> Liverpool. <laughs> yeah, Sunday something the January 2021 HD. Um, Nivola Bianchi, Charlie translates as white clouds. Uh-huh. Uh, actually, Nivola Bianchi. Sounds like someone Derby would have signed in 1990. Yeah, what a player he was, <laughs> by the very way. Very little fanfare. Linking up with Stefano Arani. Yeah, I can imagine him on Premier League years. Nivola Bianche getting sent off on his debut <laughs> for a terrible tackle. Being unveiled with a pizza to the Pride Park <laughs> faithful. <laughs> Shirt untucked, hair everywhere. Nivola Bianchi never to be seen again. Carl C says he misses this as the universal soundtrack to player X. Pipe symbol, skills, goals, assists, year... Pipe simple welcome to Club X videos. <laughs> this is Fort Minor, remember the name. Came back, dropped, mega death, took him to church. I like bleach, man. Why you had the stupidest verses? Dude, it's the truth. Now everybody giving them guest spots and stocks through the roof. I heard him fucking with this guy. Yes. Now, Johnny, I think this is, again, this is this can be pinned to a very specific type of compilation. I feel like this is sort of a player kind of dominating. Not, not necessarily as a style guy, but a kind of Gerard's level kind of scruff of the neck taker. I'm I'm getting either like Grealish showboating, yes, you know, like like yeah. clips of you know, or yeah, or just like powerful, you know, Brazilian Ronaldo. Or, like, or I'm I'm imagining Memphis Depay in 2015 when he joined Man United. Him him uh, doing skills on people. And I was going to say because I think this kind of music, this aggressive music, links to what Michael Cox was talking about. The he's ended you. This man has a family, etc. Because <laughs> yes. I think it all ties into the whole thing of look at this. Look at these defenders getting humiliated, getting ended by nanny doing skills by the touchline. This well, this therefore raises the question: somebody needs to make a passable piece of professional music that contains all that sentiment. You know, well, Depay, Depay had a had a pretty good go. Depay is a you know okay. famously uh, has a has a. A burgeoning rap career, you know, he's he's had hits, mm. and, and you know, in in, in Holland, uh, it, it's it's 
quite professionally produced and it's not bad and it is kind of about uh it's either about how much he, he loves his family and his mum or it's about it's about sticking it to the haters perfect i'd 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 love to witness the first footballer's youtube compilation soundtracked by himself yes mm. yes I, I don't think it would have happened yet but i'd oh i'd love to see that i'd love to see it um brilliant chat johnny let's hear your third love of football please this is directly inspired by watching Vincent Janssen <laughs> at Tottenham okay. during, I think it was, God, it was the 17-18 season. And it, it is players who come on in the 94th minute, <laughs> uh, who are substituted on in the 94th minute of games that are just about to end and ideally uh, don't get a touch. It's, I, th- I think it's, it's quite important that they don't get a touch. It, this is not this is not defenders who have been brought back to to, to guard the area or, or defend a set piece. You are you are there to either either they you're there to waste time mm. or you were there for some contractually obliged reason reason. And 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 Adebayor seemed to do it all the time. Right. Uh, Adebayor always seemed to be getting brought on in the ninety third minute, and you run around and literally the, the final whistle goes and. What what do you do? Do you walk off the? Do you, do you do you sort of do you celebrate the victory, or do you do you, do you celebrate or and commiserate Actually, with your teammates? This is a very interesting point. I had many questions to talk about this, but yeah, Charlie, if indeed your team wins, you know, forty seven seconds after you've come as a substitute, how invested should you be allowed to be in the celebrations afterwards? I mean, obviously you're part of the squad, so you're going to get there eventually in the dressing room or whatever, but. I don't know. It would look weird. Yeah, you're slightly in between things. But Adebayor is an interesting example because I remember a couple of times he would do this thing where someone, it might be Van Persie, had just scored a really good goal. Adebayor had you know, just come on, had done nothing. And would sort of grab Van Persie and be like pointing at Van Persie to the fans. <laughs> like, it's like, yeah, we know. We're all applauding him. <laughs> we don't really need you to kind of humbly tell us that it's him you should be celebrating, not me. Like, yeah, you, you've done nothing. So I can imagine Adebayor sort of positioning himself front and centre despite having come on for a couple of minutes, sort of obsequious, uh, ostentatiously kind of pointing at others that are celebrating. This curious phenomenon, it impacts you straight away, even before they come on the pitch, Johnny, because you're looking at this player knowing that their contribution is very unlikely to have any effect on this game whatsoever. I mean, almost almost designed to be, as you say. They're, they're just there as an ornamental player. And But let's deal with this technical point straight away, because I've never really thought about it and I've never been really sure about it, but people keep opining about it. Does it actually waste time? Is that why managers do it? I think, well, the, the, the rule is, I, or, or certainly the, the regulation is, that the referee is supposed to add on half a minute mm. for a substitution. And and I think if you get quite a rigid referee and you can, you can waste a bit of time, you may... But I, I, you, you may get some sort of advantage out of it. But I think the main issue is it kind of it breaks momentum. It it breaks the you know it forces a team to kind of start again and and just cool down a little bit, especially if they're sort of they're pressing for a goal. You know, and, and I think it, it's more of a tonal thing. It's just, it's just like an annoying like how how NFL teams use timeouts you know, with, with when there's like seven seconds left. I've never really understood the, the whole the it science of It was a Mourinho innovation. But... I remember he would do individuals rather than doing like a double check. When he was wasting time, he would do three separate substitutions, say, in the last 10 minutes when he was at his most dastardly. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, he, doesn't, he doesn't anymore, does he? He doesn't. He's, the, the, the He's game's lost the magic. Behind. He's lost yeah. The magic. yeah, exactly. He can't remember how to do subs in the 94th. <laughs> um, Charlie, we asked our listeners, who is the most pointless 94th minute substitute imaginable? Who are they picturing on this touchline? as the game has already petered out. Beloved aunt, latter-day Colo Torre. You're one goal up, get him on, not to cross away, full-time, job done. That sounds like I mean, quite a good option to have. I, I, I like you're Johnny's... hanging on if you're bringing on Colo Torre, though, yeah, aren't you? This is I, like, yeah. I can imagine in the Janssen mould, the kind of 
Roberto Soldado once it had become clear that he wasn't going to score anytime soon and he'd stopped even creating goals and his role had become so diminished that it was like well you can send him on and he'll he'll run around for a minute and kind of but the the, the pathetic thing about about um Jansen p- pathetic in the sense of pathos was that he was so desperate mm. to prove himself and that he would absolutely tear around. I think at one point he had the the highest rate of, of fouls per minute in the Premier League <laughs> um, because he would come on for the last five minutes and just tear around. And obviously he'd get a he'd get a chance um, because it, it was Pochettino Spurs and they were really good. And uh, and he would invariably miss it. I would love to kind of find some stats on like given minimum number of appearances, who had the the lowest average minutes per per appearance mm. in a premier league season and, and i'm sure jansen in, in 1718 would be up there you've you've got you've come in at the right angle here because i'm i'm i think we, we've got a, we've got a, a very natural progression here because if you're bringing on a goalkeeper in the 94th minute something terrible has happened if you're bringing mm. on a mm. defender in the 94th minute something terrible could happen and you're trying to avoid it you yeah. bring on a midfielder in the 94th minute you're either bringing someone off to get a standing ovation fine or you're bringing on fresh legs just to make sure that nothing terrible happens. You're bringing on a striker in the 94th minute. There is no reason for it whatsoever. You are simply doing it either, as you say, for contractual reasons or well, then, you know, just for yeah, really yeah, tedious yeah. technical reasons. It, it could be to defend a corner you know, if, if, mm. you, if you're bringing on a, a big man. Or, you know, the, the, the subgenre of this is in, in international tournaments is if you're bringing on, like, Penalty say, Marcus Rashford. Yeah. To, to, to take on a penalty, to oh, take yeah, a penalty. That's true. Well, we shootout. had that with Mark Noble as well, didn't we, earlier this season? Oh, yes. That was, <laughs> just, that was amazing. An absolutely incredible that game. moment. I mean, and, and then you get the, the sort of viral... around that was so cruel, I thought. Really cruel. <laughs> it was quite funny. I think, Johnny, you were among those who posted his touch map after the game, which was quite funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nobody's um, above a touch map banter. That's, no, yeah. that's nice to know. Well, I think, that's, know. I think that's important. I think that's one thing you can get as one of these late subs is the sort of the viral touch map. Ollie Mack, I think, has suggested perhaps the ultimate current example, and that's Shane Long, Johnny. Shane Long is pure Gosh. 94th minute sub now. I'm amazed he's still around in the Premier League, but he is. Very nice. Is, is he still at Southampton? Yeah, he I, I was for them the other day. I was I staggered by this. Good God! Seeing him pop up. I mean, hasn't well, you in, know, hasn't scored in three hundred and sixty-four consecutive games now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but also, they, you know, some some players are still kind of play, paid by the by the appearance, and and so you have to imagine that it's in certain cases it, it can be quite a handy to learner. But I always think it must be annoying because it does ruin. It, it makes your numbers even worse because it, it's saying you know you've scored one goal in 18 and then that's creeping up to 19 or whatever and you'd want to say you know I've only I only came on for a couple of minutes and then there's the thing of do you because often they have like there's a separate warm down for those who oh, played and those who haven't where do, you're yeah. in, where, you're in where do you go you, you still have to do it you definitely still have to do it I mean well, what's the cutoff point yeah I mean, I've come on so yeah Head of medical sciences must must know this, but I don't know, if you come in on the 80th you're still doing the warm down aren't you like no, not the warm down the extra bit of training afterwards yeah. Yes. You, yeah. You're still doing they, that. They've got yeah. the, the the kind of the artificial lamps on the pitch, and yeah. you're sort of running past the artificial lamps. These yeah, little glimpses of being a professional footballer that just look, oh, that looks shit. I don't want to do that. Uh, that's not yeah. the dream for me. <laughs> yeah. It looks terrible. It does. It does look terrible. Oh, look at that! That is wonderful. Brought to your ears by the Athletic. This is Football Clichés. Welcome back to Meza Highlandics with our guest, Jonathan Liu of The Guardian. He's told us about his three loves of football. That's manager's programme notes, solid start, the music on YouTube player compilations, and substitutes brought on seconds before the final whistle. Um, this is where it all gets particularly tasty, though, Johnny. Tell us about your first hatred 
of football. I have a, I have a certain regard for these, but this this is I, again this is quite specific. It's the cheesy puns or references or s- snippets of commentary <laughs> that are used in very short either uh, adverts, football themed adverts or the idents yes. that they play, sponsors idents that they play before the coverage starts. And you know, I'll give you an exa- I'll give you an example. What a save! You know, or radio adverts. You know, <laughs> save, save. Thirty-five percent on on uh, trade white emulsion when you get you know and what a what a that's that's a result I can trust this is this is a very co- like common theme of football adverts for going back you know 30, 40 years and it, it seems like it's died out a little bit now but it, it lives on in I think Screwfix Screwfix are like the you know the the absolute dons of this. You know, oh, there's um he slotted that right in the bottom corner. Yeah, let's let's give everyone a kind of showcase of what we're talking about here. It is indeed Screwfix. Here's an entire minute of Screwfix's football-oriented sponsorship bumpers. (laughs) You slotted that right in the bottom corner. That's it. (laughs) Well, I knew if I got a good connection, it was going in. A job well done. Screwfix, official partner of Sky Sports Football. Good. Good. (laughs) This one less so. You guys really lit up the place with that performance. Cheers, mate. Not keen. Well done. That's rubbish. That's rubbish. Mm. Four out of ten. You showed some silky smooth skills today. Cheers. Uh, yeah, I'm really chuffed with that performance. A job well done. Screwfix, official partner of Sky Sports. Six. Not having that. Not spe- these, those aren't specific enough. Yeah. Polishing. Hey. That was an inch-perfect display. Yeah, finished that well. A job well done. Screwfix, official partner of Sky Sports Football. You absolutely smashed it today. Uh, yeah, yeah. Interview wouldn't say that. Yeah, it was tough, but we we got through it in the end. A job well done. Screwfix, official partner of Sky Also, I'm sorry, but you don't talk about an inch-perfect display. No. And what's annoying is that an inch-perfect finish would work almost better for Screwfix. Yeah, I mean, if, if it was a kind of, if, if it was a, what, what do they call it? A veneer job or something yeah, like exactly. that. Yeah, exactly. A, a polished finish. You know, there, there, is so, there, there is so much uh, potential in this genre that I feel is being being spurned by lazy copywriters. It's and, true, isn't it? It's true. They should hire could, proper no, people it, to do this. It really we is. We could all do a better job than that. Yeah, and, yeah. this is where the football uh, consultant role comes in. Exactly. But it doesn't, it doesn't happen so much anymore because it's, Rightly or wrongly, seen as as cheesy. You know, it used to be. You know, it used to. I. You know, I think you know. You get Kevin Keegan with um, the Honey Monster. Oh yeah. Yeah, the Honey Monster, right? You know, that's the bowl. Now for the cup. <laughs> oh, so, okay. So, I think we've established now. I think this is very much the fault of the sponsorship bumper. This is the little advert that appears between a program and the adverts. Um, yeah. Because they need to be more football orientated because of the program that they're connected with but they have even less time to get the message across. So they've condensed this into one very unseemly jus, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> they always used to be particularly big and still are, I think, bigger during major tournaments when I think, you know, when all lads seem to be doing <clears throat> kind of football times. I mean, I like the ones that go even further and they're kind of like, mum passes to dad, dad passes to mum, and it's a goal. And it's like <laughs> a family pack of Weetabix, you know, really getting in 
quite a bit of detail. But I, I guess the the real problem, Johnny, is that there's only there's only a very small selection of words that can be used to you know make this bridge between two industries. Save, as you say, um, I don't hit the bar. Like there's a very very small narrow window of vocabulary you can use here. Yeah, I mean, it still it still annoys me when Stuart Pearce says, oh, now he's hit the post, because it's very clearly a pillar. Oh, this time he's hit the post. Pizza Hut pan pizza. <laughs> it always hits the spot. It's, mm. not, a, it's not a post Where in, in the, the Gareth Southgate pizza ad. There's a, there, there is a, a very small... And also you have, like you say, a very small amount of time. And we've all, we've all been in this situation where we kind of have to prove that we are football-y enough and we have exactly seven seconds in which to do it. That's basically the, the, the position that Screwfix are in and, and all these different brands. Like, we care, we know football, we do, but we're also, you're catering to a, to a broad audience that, that might not know some of the more technical terms. So you have a very limited language, you have a very limited vocabulary and a very short time to, to, to convey it. Yeah, fair play to Screwfix. I mean, they've got as close as anyone really ever has in this one. Um, listener Sam writes in, Charlie, he says, only in adverts or rubbish TV shows do people ever refer to upcoming fixtures as the big match. No actual yeah. football fan ever says they're watching the big match tonight, not even for <laughs> matches that are actually quite big. Is he onto something here? I don't think I've... I can't remember that, the last time I ever said the big match. Or the big game. That is a, that is a brilliant point. That is, that is an, an incredibly incredibly insightful point yeah i mean it's it's it was a an itv highlight show in, in the 70s and 80s right the big match it just it just seems like like three random words picked the the big football you also will just get you in in tv just that you're going to be watching the game tonight again just this understanding that everyone know what they're talking about and again i, just, I think you'd be more specific mm. now yeah we've we've talked a lot on this podcast about the struggles that non-football people have with trying to, you know, commandeer football culture for themselves. And I don't think really anyone is ever going to nail it. Screwfix, you're about as close as it's got. So to congratulations, but mm. still haven't quite done it. Johnny, let's hear your second hatred of football, please. Can I have your shirt signs? <laughs> Hazard, can I have your shirt? Grealish, yep. can I have your shirt? Look, this is going to come across as really uncharitable. And it's going to make me sound like a real curmudgeon. But I really, really hate those signs. I, and I hate the people holding them. And I hate the parents who have made them. Because oh. clearly it's the parents. The parents who are, have, have a lot of... you know, It's, it's often a kid. And yeah, what's the power kid, dynamic then, do you think? It's do you think the more... kid moots it first? And then the parent encourages it? Or is it, are we talking some the, serious the, pussy the parent behaviour? The cynic in me thinks that the parents are the are the driving force here. Like the most cynical example you could think of is parent thinking, well, we could get this uh, if we get, I don't know, Obama Yang's shirt. If we get Chris Woods shirt, Chris Woods, can I have your shirt? And you know, you can flog it on eBay, and and suddenly you have an asset. You know, you can you put it on the wall for a few years, and then and then and then sell it on. Obviously, the kid also wants the shirt. That's that's what complicates things. The kid is you know desperate to have this shirt. But I I used to think that in a in a slightly in a different era, you earned the shirt. You didn't ask for it. You didn't. You didn't like hold up a big banner and say, "Hey, I want this thing that you have. I, be- I want it because it will enrich. It, it will enrich me, and it will make me happy. Give it to me." Because I, I just think there's something a little bit classless about that. It's, it's graceless. It's inelegant. And I think if you get the shirt at random because mm. it's been thrown into the crowd and you, and you pluck it out of the air, or maybe the player's like seeing this kid and and it and gives you a shirt, that is more rewarding. And I think kids will learn that over time. Kids <laughs> okay. will learn that that, that 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 is the most rewarding way to get a player's shirt. This is the point I want to pick up on. I I, I appreciate everything you've said about the, the cringeworthiness of it all. But there is a system now in place 
Someone asks for the shirt and gets it if they put enough effort in. Charlie, um, you're not allowed to talk about tennis. I know you now have my permission to talk about tennis because tennis doesn't follow <laughs> these rules. A player will throw his shirt into the crowd. And then as soon as, I, as soon as I see the arm come back for the throw, I tense up because I know that there's going to be someone left disappointed. So, I mean... Yeah. Well, and then you get the sweatbands and everything. I know. So there's 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 Is, loads of things. Are they still well, prized? Well, I think you know sufficiently. Well, I guess no one's ever going to throw them back. So the players don't really get that feedback, but they continue to do it. <laughs> but, but also, it does that show what Johnny's saying. When you ask, it also takes away the opportunity for a player to perform a classy touch because it's not really that classy if someone's asked for it. Whereas. If they're kind of doing it off their own volition, then I think that is classy touch, three hand clap emojis, you know, that this player made this young fan's day. It's it's not so classy when when they've been asked. But throwing your shirt indiscriminately into the crowd is not classy. That's that that's lazy. I think it is still it's more classy than doing it if you're a tennis player doing it, you're still doing it because someone, you know, you'll think it's a nice thing to do. Doing it when someone's asked you specifically with a sign feels less classy because you're just kind of answering a request. You're not, it's not your own idea. I mean, yeah. there's a technical point here, Johnny. Shirts, so, you know, sweat-soaked or otherwise, do not travel well. Roll it up into a ball, then throw it. Because it always dies, doesn't it? The trajectory. Yeah. And it's always very unsatisfying to watch. Yeah, I, I, I was at the darts recently uh, and... I, the, there's now a tradition that players will, will chuck their not the darts <laughs> the players will, will chuck the flights off their darts oh. into into you know and, and throw them into the crowd and they will always overestimate the distance they can propel those flights it's like a little piece of is it like no. paper aeroplane style does it does it get any any no, momentum whatsoever it, or is it just Often it often doesn't it doesn't make it to the front row. Often it drops in front of the front row, which is which is embarrassing for everyone. And, and <laughs> amazing they threw their darts <laughs> into the crowd. <laughs> um, but you know, all sports you know have to have this kind of to, to an extent. I mean, baseball and baseball is terrible for this. Uh, there's a whole industry around it. Um, but it, it's um, it, it, it all stemmed from one time I think, and I can't remember exactly which player it was or when it was. I think it was about. It was about like Euro twenty sixty, something like some sometime around that, and one kid just had like a "Can I have your shirt?" I, I don't know it was Hazard or um, or Ibrahimovic or somebody, and the player walked over and, and, and gave him the shirt, and that was a lovely, heartwarming moment. And then everybody started doing it. You can see how it's it snowballed, yeah. It's the ubiquity, and mm. and now it's it's become it's just become another part of the football experience that mm. has been systematized, which which I think is pretty apt metaphor for the game as a whole. <laughs> it's nothing sacred, <laughs> Charlie. I I, I, I want to dig a little deeper into what we perceive to be the background to some of this, because on the face of it, to me, it's a collision of innocent hope of a young football fan and some very cynical logistics, which is the method by which they think they're going to secure the shirt. Now, obviously, it's quite imperative that you're down at the front to do this do you think there's any sort of kids in the back rows of upper tiers because <laughs> you never hear about those just holding up a sign going Forlo- oh please they're the kids who I want to hear please. about the hardy yeah. souls there are also aren't there what you do what is quite a classy touch from a player often they'll throw it and really point if they are a bit further back and they're oh, a bit right. worried that it you know that make some, sure they, it gets yeah, to who they it's intended that guy pointing at that guy up there I think it was this is taking it to extreme. I think it was Aaron Ramsdale earlier this season. He sort of chucked his shirt, but there were fans still clamouring, and he took off like his undershirt. And you're thinking that's pretty oh, grimy, it's disgusting. But then that goes in as well, and it was like, where, where does this imagine, end? Imagine if you can, 
if your if your brain can wrap itself around the concept that someone has framed an undershirt. <laughs> <laughs> You'd have to put a little plaque underneath it to explain who it is. Yeah, I wonder if if anybody's ever obtained one of these, you know, or a sweatband and sent it back and asked, got in touch with the player, to, could you sign it, please? <laughs> just, just so everyone knows it's you, because that could be anybody's undershirt. Well, sweatband. Sent it back saying, do you know what, it's not mine. I'm, I'm really sorry, you didn't need to do that. It's all yours. <laughs> um, naturally, Johnny, we have to talk about the um, the production standards of these things. Yeah. I've seen a lot of examples over the last couple of hours in in the lead up to this podcast, just to get a feel for what the rules are here. Some people thought might think this is lawless. It's not. It's not lawless. I've got an example. A very young, very cute West Ham fan, very clearly very innocent motivations here, wanted Declan Rice's shirt. The big sign made up of several portions of cardboard that stuck together. Declan oh Rice, Rice Baby. I am seven today in one corner. That's a nice little twist, implying that it's their birthday. Oh, that is, or otherwise. I'm, I'm just sorry, that's disgraceful. <laughs> Laying it on too thick, you think? Yeah. I okay. mean, it's a, that's a, it's a form of emotional blackmail, really. Oh, well, it gets worse. Better, sorry, to this fan. Above the I am seven today, uh, it says, and I play football. <laughs> Top right-hand corner, the West Ham United badge. Good. Just just yeah. making making it clear who they support. This isn't just a, an away I know who you play for. Yeah. yeah. And then underneath, some bubbles, and I'm forever blowing bubbles. Just to make it clear, I promise, I promise I'm blowing bubbles. Everything there, and a little heart as well. It's got everything, Johnny, everything. I can't stand that. I, I'm sorry, I've just, like, of, of all the things that She's I know... Seven, Johnny. I know, well, are they? This, this, this is the kind of thing that just brings <laughs> out brings out the, the utter conspiracy theorist in me. I, like, are they... The parents clearly helped helped with that, right? The production values are... Are high, you know, with the, with the greatest of respect to the six-year-old who, th- who thinks he produced that. Uh, that that is um, that's not something that, that comes without a good deal of parental. So so you know, you have a collaborator, you have a co-conspirator there. The parent is is almost the the mastermind of the operation, and um, it's it's just it's it's a kind of it's a form of it is literally daylight robbery. Uh, I, I can't exp- I can't really articulate why I, why I just find that so distasteful. You earn the shirt, you earn it. Let's let's go further down this cynical avenue then. Charlie, um, this is from listener Alex, and it is genuinely sensational. I hope it's not public knowledge. It may well be. But here is the story in full. Burnley, after a game in November, tweeted out a picture of a fan holding up a sign saying, I love Ben Mee. Shirt, please? Question mark. <laughs> and a picture is of Ben Mee coming over and giving him his shirt. Burnley tweeted this out in all innocence and saying lovely moment or whatever, or pure class or something like that. Alex got in touch to say, I'm the prick holding up the sign here. My mates made me do it for my birthday, insisted on doing a ridiculous S in a kind of primary school textbook style (laughs) to make me look even worse. Can confirm it wasn't serious, but I actually was quite pleased with Ben Mee's shirt. Oh my God. What a revelation this is. So straight How old? (gasps) Oh my God. I'm guessing mid to late 20s. Like that's quite a that's quite an expensive coat as well. That is that North Face or something, or, or Berghouse. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't need um, free clothes. Yeah, that's for sure. Also, the S is in like a the, the the S of please is in a sort of I don't know like a Motorhead style. No, it's, that's it's, what Adam said. That's the yeah the one you could draw at school where it was a kind of quite cool S because yeah, he's done it for the shirt as well. Yeah, yes, apparently 
They demanded this. Uh, the story continues, Johnny. It says, I'm quietly impressed that they succeeded in making something so embarrassing, yet so believable to the footballing world. Nobody suspected it was a joke. So in terms of the, you know, this is an ironically made sign to get a shirt, but they've nailed it. It looks perfect to me. Well, the, 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 there's a, a dead giveaway there. And the mm. fact is that the, the text is perfectly justified mm. from, you know, so each each of the three lines, uh, I love Ben Lee, shirt, please, question mark, fits. They, they clearly use stencils there or, or, or they've, they've laid it out, you know, in advance. Well, they only chose Ben Mee because his name was short. <laughs> <laughs> and also they only had and I quote, shitey felt tips from one of those craft shops on Burnley High Street. <laughs> there they are in the pub. <laughs> Three of them. It Three of them done. making it. This is brilliant. I mean, I, I do think that they've absolutely shown up the this whole system for what it is. It's, <laughs> it's a complete joke. I mean, I, I would have the fact that he's. I mean, the age he's at and the way he looks must send alarm bells ringing. But maybe Burnley don't get that many requests, so maybe Ben Mee was quite flattered. I feel bad for Burnley that they got hoodwinked by yeah, this. Yeah, and for Ben Mee. He, this might... is like the masked magician on ITV2. <laughs> we, should, <laughs> we should be doing this as a code. Um, he continues. <laughs> he continues. Alex continues. It had a wooden... Because I asked him, OK, we've got the design, but what are the materials involved? He says it had a wooden frame. It was an no. art canvas from the craft shop. Uh, we got some absolutely disgusted looks from the locals. <laughs> I, mean, um, a, I mean, you know without wishing to stereotype, not a great club to be participating in this sort of thing. Um, it's going to get frowned upon. Um, he said, like, it's, like, it's like getting Saudi Arabia to, to, to buy your, you know, to buy your club. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just one step too far. You know, <laughs> and anyone can, anyone can get a wooden frame and a canvas and just throw thousands of pounds and man hours at it. It's just like, That's take the pounds out. of felt tips. Yeah. I mean, he makes a very good point here. It needed to be rigid with the amount of wind coming through at Turf Moor. So this was, this was <laughs> planning, meteorological level planning. One final image. There he is wow. with his spoils, Ben Mee's shirt and the sign itself. You should, it should be like, um, Johnny, we haven't talked about this. It should be like a transaction like at the start of an international friendly. You should, you should get the shirt, but you, the player should take the sign. In return, <laughs> I think so. That's a great start, you know. And then uh, the player has a kind of has a, a souvenir. It would you know, discourage the the fucking charlatans. That's what it would do. If you knew that you'd lose the sign, you got you don't get to use it again. <clears throat> yeah, Ben me uh, framing this at home. <laughs> yeah. Also, if you you know if you get the shirt, if you get a shirt, you can come back next week with the same sign and demand the same shirt. Yeah. When or does it end? Verbal contract. Right. If you had to submit the sign, yeah. you would be like, "Okay, you're done. That's yeah. you. You've got your, you've got your shirt. Somebody else's turn." Yeah, it's now. like a ticket. You hand it over. You get. It's like yeah, in a nightclub, <laughs> you get your coat back if you hand over your massive A1 size sign, and that's how it is. Um, finally, Alex says the worst bit about all of this is I'm not even a Burnley fan. I've never supported them in my life. They only took me there because it was easy to get tickets. What a sordid end to this a is... sordid tale. Poor Burnley. <laughs> They've just been exploited. In every corner in this. Easiest easiest Premier League ground to get tickets for and most gullible players, I guess. That's yeah, we're not talking about a club who are getting £400 million a year in commercial revenue, Johnny. Don't exploit the lower reaches of the Premier League. I salute them for sharing their story and I hope this is I hope this is the first step to kind of a rehabilitation, restitution, you know, reflection, I think, on what they've done because I, I don't think they should be proud of that. Mm, no. No, Alex, think about what you've done. No names have been changed in this story. <laughs> but also, um, hopefully it's a wake-up call for this whole practice. You yeah, know, that, that as, it, it, 
as we, it, it feels like that shows us just how far we've come in a negative yeah. way. Football it's, is sleepwalking yeah, into a shirt sign we, nightmare. <laughs> Do you know what? This is going to be next year's Premier League directive. Clampdown. They've run out of clampdowns. You, yeah. you, the tackling from behind? Sorted it. Doesn't matter. Descent? Never going to sort it. Too late. Let's sort this in 21-22. That's this season. Root and branch matter. review of, uh, yeah. of this sort of thing. Yeah. Get it, get it sorted, Premier League. Johnny, after that wonderful, wonderful second hatred of yours, let's round it off. What's your number three? Well, it's a very minor point, really. It's when people say, and, and uh, you can't possibly compare player X with player Y. And what they really mean <laughs> is that these two players are in different classes and you can't <laughs> equate player X with player Y. Player X is not in the same ballpark, but you can compare them. You can compare any two things. You could, uh, literally. <laughs> the this point is how of, comparison, comparison works. This is how comparison works. And I think the, the, this wrapped up in this, I think, is the whole, the whole kind of toxic logic of fanboys on Twitter and in forums going like, you know, my man can't possibly compare with you. You can't pot. I don't want. I don't ever want to hear anybody. <laughs> I, I want to hear anybody compare Phil Foden, fraud Phil Foden, with Bruno Fernandes ever again. I don't want to hear those two names in the vicinity of each other. You can't compare Foden with with Fernandes. You can't. You can't do that. You, 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 and, and of course, of course, you can because this is the English language, and we live in a free society. I I want to get back <laughs> to the very very pedantic point in a moment because I think it's very important that we do that. But. The language about not being allowed to compare players, Charlie. Johnny presents this kind of modern context of, of social media fanboys about certain players, but there's one phrase that has endured all the way through this, which is, player X is not fit to lace player-wise <laughs> boots, which is so, it's so outdated. It's, it's such a weird thing to cite, mm. but yeah, it's still there, not fit to, yeah. to lace his boots. Martin Yole, I remember using that in, in quite a lyrical way. I mean, the other big thing is you can't compare different players from different eras, mm. which you hear. I, I kind which, of agree with which, that. Which you do hear a lot of. Where would you stand on that, Johnny? Can you compare two players from oh, different people eras? Oh, yeah, people say you can't compare players of different eras. As if this, you know, you have to compare them to a to a kind of scientific a level of scientific proof that you know this is some sort of empirical judgment. Oh no 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 no, I can't. I I, I compare these these two like players who played in the same era, but uh, you I know, couldn't possibly. Uh, it, but I can't. But it's a game. Come on, no, we're talking about. Fo- I can't do it. I, I physically cannot pick an all time eleven because my mind will simply not get past the idea that someone who was good in the fifties just would be good enough. In the, uh... But this, this, it's, a, it's an exercise in fantasy and in imagination, as all these things are. Mm. You know, just imagine, imagining Lev Yashin lining up behind a, a back four of, of Maldini, Baresi, Ramos, and Trent Alexander-Arnold. Just you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a. You it's, don't fancy it. You don't fancy it, Yashin. Get stuck into it. <laughs> uh, it's a minor back pass. You wouldn't know what to do. Useless. Surely, the, the whole point of the exercise is that you know you are kind of imagining something that can't can never possibly happen but yeah i mean this this is a very good point people do get very angry when you when you do quite literally compare two players whether they're exactly the same or not but the art of comparing gets you gets you into very tricky territory charlie we are well versed in the new player x phenomenon Mm. what players seem to be cited the most for this i would say patrick vieira is up there the new vieira a new Vieira is hailed, I'd say, once every six months. I mean, the, the Maradona was a whole thing, wasn't it? In, mm, in Argentina, and obviously then the Maradona of the mm. certain okay. region. Yeah. <laughs> the, the absolute the absolute dawn for this in, in the media, in terms of 
this is the new player X is is Jamie Redknapp mm. on Sky. Jamie Redknapp is he absolutely adores comparing. You know, really? I I see elements of I see elements of Paul Scholes in him here. I actually wrote a column for the Telegraph about this a few years ago. Okay. Uh, he, he described uh, Memphis Depay as the next Robin van Persie, Anthony Martial <laughs> as the best prospects in Messi, Ross Barkley as England's Gareth Bale, <laughs> Deli Ali the whole as the next Stephen Gerrard. Like a selection box. This is great. Reese Oxford has that has that Rio Ferdinand elegance about him. Meanwhile, try and guess which player Redknapp describes as possessing the glamour of David Ginola and Paul Gascoigne. <laughs> David Bentley. David Bentley. Oh, oh really? Do I fucking hell? Yes. I'm sorry. I'm applauding. <laughs> That's unbelievable. But yeah, I mean, that, that, that. that just, you know, the Redknapp, Redknapp, Redknapp ease is, is a kind of, it's, it's an accepted language. So, so Iniesta is in, you know, is like Paul Scholes, but then also Wilshire is England's Iniesta and Josh McEquid is another Jack Wilshire. This is really interesting actually, because this is much more subtle an art than the more wooden, you know, next Maradona's Charlie that are kind of hailed in more in the press than more organically as, as the ones that Johnny has suggested. Um, I mean, when you say a player has touches of this uh, or, you know, shades of, of that, mm. what are you looking for? I think it's kind of sort of running style. What is it? Gate, yeah. Gate, yeah. He Language. carries himself. He, he carries himself in that way that, that mm. we used to see with so-and-so. This, this is, by the way, is why I stopped reading um, music criticism because <laughs> to, to read any kind of music review, you now need to know about the nine different bands that have influenced mm. Music critics can't can't really describe music in any other frame of reference other than other. Oh, we've got Cocteau Twin style harmonies and Velvet Underground bass and <laughs> and, and Oteca keyboards. And I'm, I haven't heard any of this. I, I, this is not helping. Football writing should be like this, definitely. Your next match report, um, if they're still alive, I want you to write it in exactly that style. Write write your next match report exactly like you're reviewing um, the third album from from some math rock outfit. <laughs> yeah so uh i guess uh, he drove through with an eric lamella drop of the shoulders <laughs> jinked inside with a uh, david silver in step all the while with step. the glamour of a david bentley well exactly yeah there are obvious uh, influences that. of uh of johan cruyff in uh in the way he set his team up of course but uh yeah and that sort of thing actually that's exactly what people say so i don't know that doesn't work at all johnny it's been an absolute pleasure to have you how do you feel this is has this been a cathartic process and do you think you've lived up to all your pre-match nerves well I, I, there will be there will come times over honestly the next three or four years mm. or more when uh-huh. i think shit i should have should have done that could have done that but you know what i'm i'm happy <laughs> I, i'm happy to let this this oral document stand as it um as it currently exists I'll um I'll see you in the marketing department at Screwfix in the next, <laughs> in the next year or so. I feel like we can take the industry by storm. Thanks to you, Charlie, for joining us. Thank you. This has been so great. It's like when Gary Neville does World Cup punditry on ITV or something. Getting Johnny from Football Weekly. It's an amazing crossover. I know. I know. This is <laughs> this is the power we now we now wield. That's uh, absolutely fine. Good to cross the divide. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, Max Rushton said he wasn't allowed. So did he? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Shame. Oh, well, shame. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm not allowed. <laughs> That's why I never mentioned it. I thought, oh, I just won't mention it. It'll be fine. It's Johnny Lee. You can do what you like. Um, well, obviously, wonderful Mesa Highland Dicks. Thank you to you, Johnny. Cheers. Thanks to you, Charlie. Thank you. Thanks for everyone for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye bye. The Athletic. <laughs>